Okay, um, my name's Darcy, as most of you already know, and I'm super excited to introduce Wayne Sullivan from the GLA, who I'm so grateful for joining, and I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to keep our introductions really quick, because I think we actually have so much to get through, which is going to be so great. Um, so, hi, Wayne. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Um, so, BLM is a major movement happening now, and I know you've done a lot of work at the GLA looking at equality and breaking down institutional racism. And I'd love to know more about what's given you this passion and why the movement has gained more importance now. Actually, actually, um, let's strip it back a little bit because I think it's important for everyone to know that you can actually talk about these issues from uh, both a British standpoint and more specifically for the organisation and London standpoint. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'll probably take it like right back to the beginning and sort of my own experiences and why um, for me this is, you know, so important and why, why it's the right time. Um, so, sort of my my first experiences with, with with racism, I was probably aged eight or nine, um, and going to to primary school in uh, Westminster, uh, right opposite Chelsea Army Barracks. I used to have friends in and out. Um, popped over one day, one evening, um, hanging out with friends, um, and the army in in the nineties wasn't wasn't a great place um, for 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 ethnic minorities um and so yeah that was sort of my first experience of, of of racism from from other other kids um and it was extremely it was eye-opening i mean at the time i didn't really understand the the sort of levels of of racism sort of what it meant um i just knew it was wrong um and hurtful but I mean, ever since then, it's sort of really given me a, an insight into actually, you know, what what people can experience and what you can experience out there. And, you know, throughout my my career and throughout my, my education, there's been so many um, different instant, instances where, where this has cropped up. So seeing the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement now, um, I think for me is... Uh, it's a time where I think, you know, we, we live in 20 to 2020 and, you know, why are we still experiencing these problems? Why, you know, I'm, you know, we're, we're talking about second, third generation um, um, people in, in, in this country, you know, who are British. I am British. I know Britain as the place that I live. I couldn't live anywhere else, you know. Um, so why am I not welcomed here sometimes? And I think that is such a it's such a big catalyst at the moment as to, to why this movement is, is taking hold and yes there are problems in in america but it's actually shone a big light onto the issues we have here in the uk and 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 why are we still going through this why there are systematic oppressions that we still have to contend with so um absolutely you know i, I think this is the moment where people are standing up and saying enough is enough almost and you know not just black people not just you know asian people not people you know all everyone from across the board is having a look and saying actually enough is enough why are these things still happening and i think that is a huge difference to to movements that have happened in the past yeah no that makes loads of sense because you were obviously driven to do this like it happened and then you were driven to embed it into your organization as like a Almost, it was a direct response, wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was a direct response to what had happened. And you're speaking about your experiences, obviously, much earlier in terms of, in terms of 19, 2000s Britain. Like, can you paint us a picture of what 90s, 2000s Britain kind of looked like? Yeah, I mean, a different world. I'm showing my age here, but you know, 90s, 90s Britain was not the world we live in today you know from from all perspectives whether we're talking about uh lgbtq plus rights whether we're talking about women's rights where we're talking about uh you know rights of minorities it's, it was it's a completely different place and into perspective you know stephen lawrence was killed in 1993 and that was this there was a massive systematic cover-up then that's the sort of world we were living in 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 the 90s um it was a world where my 
parents would say you know don't go to certain areas and not because they were rough or dangerous but because actually you know places like Elton places like Millwall because because of racism you know um a completely different different place to be it'd be a place where you couldn't get into certain venues because of the color of your skin and it's that seems crazy to say but you know that is the reality of what what we were living in in in, in that that period um yes we've come a long way but what i've seen is that actually racism has gone more what i would probably say underground it's it's hidden within a system and i know we'll touch on this later but within a you know whether it's a class system whether it's institutional systems that's where it's sort of moved to so yes we don't have the overt racism that we have in america or we don't necessarily have the overt racism um you know that is going to get people in trouble or you know you can immediately take to hr and it's quite straightforward it's hidden and complicit but you know, we'll come on to this. There are some, we are moving. Yeah. And the last few months and some of the work I've done in the GLA has made um, some significant changes and, and, and there is a difference. No, you, when you, covert and overt, I think everyone's spoken about between that time to now and every panel and every speech, everyone's, that's literally like what everyone's been speaking about. And the whole, oh, it's not something you can go to HR thing. Yeah. I think that's like, yeah, what you were saying about you can't you can't tell HR somebody's done this in specific, but it's it's kind of knowing inside that that's what's happening. Yeah, and trying to understand that, so that makes a lot of sense. So this is obviously everything that's happening in in London, and you mentioned Millwall and stuff. Um, I think although it's we're a London organisation, and so are you. Um, I think what's your experience kind of travelling to areas outside of London? What's kind of because I think the question that we always talk about in London is you can see colour because there is so much of it mm. um, and I think outside of London there's it might not be racism for example but I think those are where the arguments come for oh yeah. it's it's everyone of all races because if you look in different cities it's different things so what's your experience of kind of being outside of London and what's that's kind of like? Yeah um don't travel outside London honestly that was sorry that was such a loaded question <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's not necessarily true I mean I, I love traveling the UK and I've um I've worked in 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 this job um in previous jobs where I've had the opportunity to to visit so many different cities and I love it, it, it it's brilliant um and the UK is an amazing place however you know you are you feel like an absolute minority where you don't necessarily have that in London um you fit you you know it, that's where you could potentially say it becomes a bit more over and it's it's not over in the sense of people someone hurling racial abuse at you it is you know you really do see the statistics there that the UK only has three percent uh black black people uh in it and and, and you know I've been to some great villages and some you know lovely towns in in the UK some of my personal favorites um are places where I would probably be the only black person um so I understand I do understand you know that there's a process for change and you know um that we have a way to go because actually some people are just not not exposed to different people in, in the way that we are in London it, it's absolutely different um and there are ways we're coming along I mean it's brilliant today and I know um there's been a lot of talk about loose women and having first sort of all black um hosts all, all of them were, were, were black today I believe and that that's that's brilliant um but it's brilliant on one side and there's another side to that as well. And I, again, I think we'll come on to that, but there is the side of actually where does it, where are we really making a difference? You know, it's great pulling down statues. It's great having this, but, you know, having all black hosts on TV, but actually is that really going to make a long-term and permanent difference? And probably not. Some of the work I've been trying to do at the GLA, um, hopefully is, and will make a long-term difference and, and is building up towards that um 
and you know that that that's what I'm sort of here for that's what I'm an advocate for is to build long-term uh systems that are going to fight oppression um so yeah yeah I think there's a there is a way to go yeah, you don't want it to be performative. I, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, so in just yeah, to talk about that, what do you think the changes you've made, not you personally, but kind of your reaction to the BLM movement? Because I don't think ever, London partners don't know what the GLA have been doing. Not everyone yeah. at London partners has. So I think it'd be good for us to know, understand what your response was in an organisation level to the movement. Some of some of the work I've been doing, and, and what what I'd say, you know, from the outset, what has has been great over the last um, few months is the receptiveness at, at the GLA. So um, I think, like most organisations, um, there wasn't the initial feeling of actually there's a, a bigger issue here. Once you know we had the killing, um, the, the murder of George Floyd, and actually what the impact was on the you know to, to black people in the UK it wasn't just the murder of George Floyd it's been a pressure you know pressure cooker almost of we had Windrush a few a few few years ago and you know that's something that never really got the traction that it should have had it's something that you know people are still suffering from today and um, I would speak to my my grandmother about it and you know she came here as part of the Windrush generation and she worked really hard, really hard. And um, for, for a time where, you know, I complain about 90s Britain, but she was here during, you know, 50s and 60s Britain, which was absolutely, you know, very difficult, very, very, very racist. You, you'd have, you know, speeches like Enoch Powell and stuff, and that's what you'd have to live with. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, there's there's so much going on there's so much happening behind the scenes slowly just building up building up that actually George Floyd was a catalyst and that had really big ramifications here and it was uh probably almost all organizations really didn't understand what that was and and how to address that um and so like you know I really what decided you know it was important for me to, to 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 lead here to to work with our senior management team to work um with the great people in our networks to work with other staff members to actually get our voices heard and you know put certain things in place so one of the things um that I, i've worked on with um a co-host uh marta is is putting together a race discussion um that we have in our external relations team which openly talks about the issues of race the issues of 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 diversity and the problems that we have and, and why we have these problems and generally speaking it's been such an eye-opener for me and it's been an eye-opener i think and i hope for the people who have attended it's taught everyone um you know showing everyone that we still we, we do have these problems and often like what i found fascinating is that a, a lot of the times most people didn't realize that these problems existed you know um it's been really interesting because the attendance from from white colleagues has been amazing um, and, and the willingness to learn. And I think that's a huge and, and to listen to some of the stories that are shared by black and Asian colleagues. And I think that has made a huge difference to this movement in that organisation and than what's ever had, what's come previously, what's come before. We are still dealing with huge issues at the GLA. There are still a diversity pay gap, you know, which I know our, our Bay Network's working really hard on tackling and, and, and dealing with. Um, we still have systems of, you know, what could be construed as systematic racism, and it's not necessarily anyone's fault, it's just how a system has been built. How do we tackle that? Um, I can still walk into a room and a room of 40 and be the only black person in that room and that's you know things that we still deal with uh, in, in in 2020. Um, it was interesting I was watching a, a, a TV program last week where Mo the Comedian was talking about um, comedy and how it's been really hard for, for black comedians yeah, to sort of break that. a ceiling yeah and it was it was really interesting he 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 mentioned you know he was like it's a cement ceiling it's actually not a glass ceiling it's impossible to break and that's something that I think 
probably most black people have felt at least once in their lifetime that actually they've gotten as far as they can go. They've been held back by this cement ceiling. I am lucky to say that I feel I've broken through that and I've had a lot of support around me from all aspects, from, um, you know, managers at work, from colleagues at work, from friends, family, to get where I am today, which is a really, really privileged position. Um, but it's important for me to use that, that, that position to help others. And it is talking about, you know, I don't want to be the only black person at the table, which often I can be. Yeah. I'd like, I, I want there to be a variety of people. I want, you know, the table to be diverse. Um, I was having a chat with a, a, a colleague last week and we were talking about, you know, it's a shame too often we see meetings happening where people in that meeting are talking about, you know, it could be an all white meeting talking about the black community and how they tackle the black community. It could be an all male meeting and they're talking about women's issues. And that's really challenging. And that's something a problem we still have. Um, yeah. And some of the work at the GLA that I've been doing is identifying that that's actually a problem and how, you know, sort of calling it out when it does happen and then saying, actually, what are we doing to tackle that? And I've seen some 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 really amazing results. You know, we have set up within um, external relations, you know, there is a sort of consultation now. It's, a, it's, it's informal, but it does happen. And it's, you know, if you are part of that community, whoever the lead is on that, uh, sort of campaign or, or, or project sort of reaches out and, and will ask, what do you think about this? Can I have your thoughts? And so on and so forth. And that is the kind of positive step in action that, that I'd love to see rolled out across not just the GLA, but all organisations. Yeah. No, I think, I think, oh, you touched on so much. I think from, um, yeah, from that, I think that's something similar we've done in the last six months. Not saying that we weren't doing it before, but I think it's more of a conscious decision that like when there is a campaign, so for example, one of my colleagues just sent me a message when they were doing a campaign for our big because I'm a Londoner campaign and asked if this if it was incorrect to be using somebody's picture and how to describe her and if it'd be incorrect to describe her as a black woman and I said no because she is one um and but it was nice that it was more he he felt like he could ask or that there was a need to ask and it was more let me ask the people who wanted to and I think with our response to the Black Lives Matter um, movement and stuff they did come to our version of the BAME network, which is called Origins, um, and they did ask, is this response okay? And I think that kind of just kind of keeping open dialogue has That's become such a, so important. And um, the only other thing I think you said with, when you were talking about your grandma and it being more, way worse in the 50s and 60s, when we first started um, the podcast and we spoke to Rich, and he was talking about it in the 70s, hi Rich, um, and he was talking about it in the 70s and stuff, he actually said, which I, it really stuck with me, and he said it was worse for us now because it's hidden. And he said, I, I preferred it when they told me they didn't like me yeah. than, than to act in a way. So like, even though it was more violent and it was more public, he actually said in that podcast that he preferred it because it just felt more, um, it just felt better knowing that that's what they thought mm. and it wasn't hidden. Um, and it's actually worse to respond to it now it's interesting because along with that I would say you know racism has found a new arena to to work in and that's the world of social media and then you you know you look at someone like Marcus Rashford who's doing something amazing and trying to to help um you know kids you know like if you're going to help anyone you want to help kids yeah. and you want to help them out of poverty you want to provide them with food and the beauty's had the the racist abuse around that you know is 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 shocking um i was actually shocked reading some of the stuff that people still feel they have a platform to say some of those those things the these days you know and there was a comment about you know th does he even know his dad because he's black yeah. you know that, that's that's crazy you know yeah. absolutely crazy and you know and i think this is where you know you can you can really start to maybe have a look at the contrast between you know does is racism where it fits into a class system and how you know you suppress a certain society through class through you know opportunity through prosperity 
and you you know you build these these systems continue to build um you know we, we often talk about the same problem happening for white working class boys in in glasgow you know yeah. and, and and we can see you know we see that happening um at parts across northern england and, and in scotland but that is you know the sort of same oppression that we have um here in 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 England, particularly in in the major cities, that yes, um, we are only now just starting to build a strong a stronger, not quite where we are at now, and how I see it, a strong black middle class. That is the only way to have certain prosperity um, and to achieve. You know, we're now seeing more black people i do think it has dipped in, in the last couple of years but we've seen more black people go to uni there's you'll you'll meet uh you know black people around my age who'll be like yeah i'm the first person in my family to go to uni i was certainly the first um and and you know being really successful at work you know i i i said to my mom recently um i got a new role which i'm extremely grateful for and like over the moon about and my mom was just asking how much I earned and I, I sort of mentioned it and she was like absolutely you know her jaw was on the floor like, well that's they're that's pretty standard that <laughs> yeah, yeah they're not used to that sound no no it's the same they're at not. home like and, our, and, base, our base salary is just not what they're used to no not at all and I was sort of explaining to her that you know what average London salary looks like and actually how much you you know you you pay for rent and stuff like that and it's it's new you know there is this emerging um middle class and with that you know you build education you build you know you are able to tackle these uh areas of oppression um you know and that makes a huge change that is where I see we yeah. have um, the opportunity to really completely convert um, what, what is construed as racism in the UK. Yes, pulling down statues is great in, in, in a sense, um, but that's not going to get real change at the end of the day. Real change will come from working within the system, unfortunately, yeah. and, and, and sort of dismantling it from, from the inside. So you um, brought up something that's an not I don't want to say an argument, a um a barrier that we've faced kind of when we're talking about these issues and it's when you brought up um kind of the people from people from a white background face the same kind of problems and I think one of the questions that I was given certainly was kind of um the that it's not people of color that face these problems that actually have the worst opportunities actually working class people uh, white men that face the least amount of opportunities based by data but it's kind of dividing as in I think I always struggle to answer that question because I just don't have the data to back that up so it's kind of what would your response be to that kind of argument that's that's a that's a tricky one because yes there is there certainly is discrimination not racism but there's discrimination yeah. to 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 a degree within you know towards white working class men um and However, um, as a as a black person, you're almost pigeonholed straight away. You're almost, you know, like I don't know. Growing up, you know, as a black person, you were taught to have a phone voice. You know, you're given a, you know, my name's Wayne Sullivan, and there's a way I would speak <laughs> on the phone. You know, when I was applying for jobs, you'd always do telephone interviews. There was a way to, you know, and there was a way to act and behave and so on and so forth and I think you know you're constantly sort of on, on the back foot whereas I don't necessarily think that exists for 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 white working class men and I I like you said I don't have evidence to back that up I do think you know there is a huge issue with classism and yes there is um there is discrimination amongst that you know uh, within for what for for, for for that that particular group um but it's easy either in my eyes to sort of stand up and be a white working class man than it is to be 
a black working class man you know there's certainly going to be fewer opportunities so that I wouldn't necessarily be able to travel from here to somewhere in the, the Lake District and feel comfortable getting a job straight away or being able to travel you know to certain places in Europe or so on and so forth there are differences and you know black working class men and women also suffer discrimination as well as racism from 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 discrimination from their class and discrimination from their skin color so yeah it's an interesting one um but i i do think there is a difference yeah no i i, I agree it's more it's it's usually just i always get stuck with responses for things like that the things like when somebody explains kind of mini microaggressions like the, all these terms that have just come up it, I've found it difficult to because I think in my mind it seems obvious yeah so it's kind of having to describe something that's so obvious that I found difficult and that's why I think this this let's be honest session is a little bit easier I think because um, you obviously don't work for London and partners so I think there's a little bit more kind of scope to kind of speak a little bit more yeah. um about things like that so from the response obviously it's not all our, it's not every all colleagues or not a negative towards anyone but you would have come across this the same way I've come across this but um people apologizing for yeah. um how well their lives have been it's kind of so how do you feel about kind of that kind of response from people I, I'm going to be totally honest here um and that's what we're about I I I do not like that people apologizing for their privilege because in some way most of us have some sort of privilege now when I started my working career it's you know I worked in retail and retail is predominantly uh, uh, full of women as in like store managers area managers um, but retail was the first place that I realized where I noticed my male privilege and how I how I sort of saw my male privilege was coming in, um, starting a job the same time as other other colleagues, friends who I'm, you know, you know, I started my retail career at seventeen before I moved into into marketing, and um, realised how quickly I could get promoted. And I was a store manager by the time I was twenty four, um, and so. And I, I held an area a, few, a year after with three three small stores, but generally still that that's that's a huge thing. And I would work with um, you know women who have nowhere near got that that level of promotion or got that escalation, just what didn't have the look in that I did. And I, that's the first sort of time and place that I realised my my male privilege and if there was a male area manager how much more respect they got than, than female area managers though there would be sort of two out of ten would be male um so people who apologize particularly when you're getting quite older um you know once you know you've gone through enough work experience you've gone through enough educational experience apologizing for their privilege um, and not recognizing it, I don't think is is genuine. Um, there must be areas that you recognize that actually you are in a privileged position. Like I said, um, too often I've walked into a room um, and been the the only black person. And when I say too often, I'm, I'm probably talking about on a weekly basis in in certain meetings I've been in, and you know. Um, at the same time, I've been in a room and realised there's only one woman in that room, and there are ten men. Do you know what I mean? Like it, you, 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 you get these 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 factors and realise actually there is privilege. Um, I realise my privilege over a black woman, which is which is sad, you know. And 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 so I find it's it's fine to recognise your privilege, and you should recognise your privilege. However, apologizing for it isn't always the right way to go in my eyes. Actually, it's using your privilege to help others as well, exactly. is to not stampede and, you know, use that to feel just completely your self gain, but actually working to help those who are less privileged than yourself to, to, to bring them up. And, and, and that, that, that's how it is. It's interesting because there was quite a lot of apologizing about yeah. 
privilege and and not not recognize not, not people not recognizing their privilege um when we first started talking about the black lives matter movement in in sort of june um this year at, at, the, at the gla and for me it wasn't you know it's not that authentic if you've got to a certain position in your job you've been in the workplace for years and you know for decades then you know it's it's interesting but i think you got to get that far and haven't realized there is at, what, at what point is it privilege and at what point is it you're actually the best person for that position absolutely um it's that's that, that's good yeah um, because from the flip side, like you obviously mm. hear, you don't want somebody to only think that they've got the job because they are a certain colour. Or, or sorry, even the other way, especially in the last six months, you don't want it to be, this has definitely been an example that I've seen firsthand, you don't want it to be positively discriminated for you either. Yeah. Especially, like I think last year, last year if I was given a job compared to this year, you'd think about it a little bit. Is it because of that? I'm, I'm not suggesting that's the case here, but you, I think people are thinking about it. So when when do you kind of draw the line? I mean, if you're if you're the best person for the job, you are the best person for the job, and there should be processes in place to ensure that you are the best person for the job. Um, you know, whether that's recruitment, whether that's retraining, whether that's you know, the the processes should be robust enough and fair enough to make sure you are the best person for the job. It it sort of becomes privilege when that when either those systems aren't working and and don't work or if there is con there isn't consistency. So, so for example, if you realised that there were very few uh, women coming through your your recruitment program what's happening what's uh, do those women have the same opportunities it's looking it's helping it's development once you remove that sort of development or those opportunities that's where you start to where it becomes privilege and actually you are enhancing privilege i think something that has been well documented is that men are more likely to apply for jobs that they're probably not even qualified for and they they really push it could be seen as an air of arrogance or confidence um, through to, 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 try and, to try and go for those jobs. So it's, you know, making sure that jobs are advertised correctly, that they are advertised in the right place, that everyone has the opportunity. That's when you get the right person for the right job and it doesn't become privileged. That's just one example off, off the top of my head. But yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, that was a really difficult question. I'm quite, quite aware. Um, and you spoke about, you did a really long answer, so I've jotted some stuff down. You spoke about Mo the Comedian. Yeah. And that feels like, I, I, I'm not, I don't believe it personally, but it, it could be seen as um, progress. It could be seen as we've got all the scheduling, we've had lots of like black only scheduling like certain mm. certain concerts certain things um i can't think of all the examples but obviously channel four have done a massive dedication for it um do you see this as, do you see this as progress or do you see this as performative do you see it as specific both it's progress okay. it's yeah. pro it is progress and i would be i would i think it i would do the system a disservice to sit here and say it's completely performative but ultimately it is performative if on the 1st of December there is no longer any back programming and everything is Christmas programming then it's you know it's not a long term it's, it's something just to prop up a month black history month black history isn't just a month black history is British history my history is very much the same history as uh you know my 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 heritage Jamaican history colonialism British history it's all intertwined it's the same thing so it's interesting that um th that's where I, I would say it's performative because yes it's great having all this program in and having a platform having a voice is actually brilliant keeping that voice and keeping those platforms long term is the problem that I think we have and the reason why we have those problems is because there aren't people in the right places if we take ITV for example so I recently called out ITV um, because ITV has made a really big 
statement, really big, you know, put a lot out that they support Black Panther, came out in support around the Ofcom complaints for the diversity yeah. um, performance, performance yeah. which, I mean, in itself is a topic we could go on for. Go on <laughs> but when you drill down into ITV and look, there are no senior executives who are black. You have very few um, people who can make decisions who are black. And we're talking like not just the top tier, you start going down and it's still, you know, there's still, even if we're talking about the percentage, percentage of black people in the UK, there was still not enough. Uh, you know, we're talking under 3%. And so actually people who are making the decisions aren't in a you know that they, they, they aren't black and they aren't in permanent positions and therefore be, we, we begin the cycle again we begin the cycle of you know in the 90s there were tv shows that came out um in the early 2000s that now we would look on and be like that's crazy and um because people aren't in the right place it's the same thing we have in politics there are no black members of the cabinet you know like so decisions are made about black communities every day. The same in the police force, in the Met, Met police force, there are no black executive uh, commissioners. And so like, actually in the places that we need to see action, that we, we're gonna see permanent change, there, are, there is no representation. And that's, a, that's, that's when I say performative, where I see it being performative. Great having, you know, Good Morning Britain, all black faces it's it's a step but it's only a step it's not the change we ultimately need to break down the systematic systems that are currently in place um and that's where we'll need to see change that's where we'll need to make change and that's where i say having that strong sort of um section of you know up and coming black british talent whether you know becoming producers becoming executives becoming CEOs will make that long-term difference in in the UK but that is going to take a while it starts now and I feel this movement is the first time it's truly you know really taking effect that this is where we need to make a change this is where we need to make a difference uh, ju just an example I used to work for a very well-known uh, retail high street retail company um, and this was after I left, they uh, produced a t-shirt that said um, the only monkey in the jungle or something like that and put it on the black kids yeah. um, and things like that happen because yeah. there is no representation in the right places. There is no one to say that could potentially be a problem that could, you know, and, and, and that ultimately is what will continue uh the, the institutional problems that we have if we don't have people in the right places yeah it's it's just it's it's when we were when we talked about it before we said so many organizations are running a diversity and inclusion scheme mm. with nobody of color anywhere near the decision making process so it's weird running those kind of projects without that kind of voice yeah i mean what what I, and again bringing it back to gla i think what i have found good and, and I, I'm speaking within my department at this stage um, is that there's been a recognition that actually not all diversity schemes work and you know because we have unconscious bias training it doesn't mean to say bias still happening and for my directors and my senior managers to actually acknowledge that take a look at that and, and begin to address that is a brilliant step forward it's a step that's going to take a while and there will be ups and downs um but th that is some of the difference and some of the change that we are making that actually having a look at um you know actually just because we do have these quite standard diversity training opportunities and unconscious bias training opportunities doesn't mean that it still doesn't exist and actually what is the real problem and that is you know something that that's been pretty successful and quite encouraging yeah, when you were talking about um, ITV, it's, it's probably a problem that you guys face as well, but I know LMP does. Um, like, we are, we are, we actively try and be as inclusive as possible when we're doing events. And I know that obviously Sadiq wants like women on panels and things like all those kind of schemes that we've been going for. But because we don't have those people, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say black people are first and foremost on, on in senior positions and companies. 
it means when then I want to say going lower and lower in terms of seniority in order to get somebody of color onto a panel. Mm. So it's kind of how do we how do we make sure we're being diverse when we're recruiting, but how but then not lowering our level in terms of seniority if you if you understand what I mean yeah it's it's, it's what we had with when we, we were like not saying that the uh, female problem is solved but we've made massive strides definitely in London partners in order to make that movement kind of going so I think this is kind of the next step so kind of what would you say would be the way forward almost well it's, it's looking within the community you know within each community there are some really you know senior people doing some good stuff and they don't always have the the spotlight that they should have um there are I, I think there are enough people out there who are able who do have a voice who are in a senior position yes um well at least within their community who should be able to to have a platform and being given that opportunity to to speak on these panels and and, and stand up and 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 have a say and actually it's more genuine when it comes from you know, deep rooted within the community. Um, th I think a lot has been done in terms of uh, race and women um, to have better representation. But you do get to a point where you start to see the same faces yeah. and the same people coming through. The, again, the only way to change that is to ensure that there is proper representation across all levels in these institutions. And until that happens, um, we will be limited. We will be yeah. limited. Um, yeah. And, um, and that's, that's a sad, sad fact, unfortunately. So what do you think, what do you think needs to, for a wider level, not organisation, not TV, not anything, what do you think needs to change? And like what does, is, is Britain adopting its, its own identity and what it means to be kind of, black and British, brown and British, like, is, is Britain making a new statement? Is this, is this a new beginning? I think, I think, I think it is. I think there is definitely a new statement of what it is to be black and British. And that is something that's been growing over the last few years. And, and, and this is in my opinion, so certainly views may differ, but within my opinion, there's a new sort of like, you know, within culture, within, you know, the community aspect, there is a difference um, but I felt, you know, where there is this notion of a, a black British like, British identity really stepping up and, you know, to tell black stories is acceptable and to 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 to, to be able to have these conversations that we're having now is is acceptable and it's great and, and people are willing to listen. Um, it's, it's important that that continues. Um, it's important that, you know, not only do people listen, but then there's action on that and you know that's where it's important to have really good and strong allies to actually understand how do we tackle this problem together in all honesty black people will not be able to change this on their own there are not enough of us or there are not enough of us in senior positions to change to to, to, to break the system down nor, and, and nor, to have is, a system. nor is your job to change it either no, no but but we should play a, we should play a yeah, part for sure um you know and it's you know what we are seeing, unfortunately, is is is, is a bit more of a polarised world. You've certainly seen that in America. We're seeing that now. Social media has given them a platform. Um, unfortunately, you know, no matter which way you voted, but, you know, Brexit also has given a platform and some of the way the current government has handled the migrant crisis as well has given a platform for voices to uh, be a bit more vocal. On racism and and so like you know on so we, we we hear you know we've got sort of like the, the Lawrence Fox issue again which has sort of surfaced this week where you know having having a voice not, not saying you know everyone's entitled to, to an opinion absolutely but I don't think um in reality that British values are being eroded in that sense um I'm black I'm British you know yeah. uh, I, my values I think are, are just as British as my friends who are white you know I went to to the same institutions as them I work in the same institutions as them so so I find that argument really um saddening to be honest it's, it's almost depressing that we'd be still having to have conversations but it's looking at 
those people as hopefully just a minority and working together in like as really strong allies um, to, to, to break down the, 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 the systems in place to, to support each other and, you know, to understand like, you know, black people don't want to just play a race card and say, oh, this has happened because I'm black. No, we actually just want equal opportunities. We want fairness. Um, and working together to achieve that fairness. So, you know, again, you know, how, how do we not have any black people in the cabinet? How do we not have any black people in uh, FTSE 100 or 250 companies? Do you know what I mean? Like building, you know, putting things into place to support and, 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 and to work to develop, you know, having a voice and representation within those institutions. Yeah, I agree. I'm really conscious of time and I have, we have like 10 more topics. I'm going to pick two good ones just so we have some time for some questions at the end. So the one I wanted to ask you about mostly was, um, especially in London, um, if you think, I'm going to word this right, if you think that gentrification contributes to racism. Mm. Um, this is a tricky one, actually. Yeah. I grew up in Brixton um, and uh, uh, I, I was having a, a, a chat a few months ago with, with a colleague and, and she's she's here so she'll know <laughs> who she is um, and we're talking about Brixton um, and Brixton's, Brixton's come a long way. I grew up in the 90s Brixton, there was riots in Brixton, you know, there was, you know, it was to some people it was a no-go area and, you know, you I know particularly North Londoners would never go to Brixton, for example. It just wouldn't happen. Now I go, you know, I love what's in Brixton. I take part, you know, I go out there and enjoy um, the delights that Brixton has to offer now. Absolutely amazing. Brixton Village, love it. And but it is, you know, sometimes I do walk down, you know, Co Harbour Lane and I'm like, wow, this is a different world. Does it contribute to racism? I think. Um, I think it doesn't contribute. I think it's a, a, it's, a, it's a product of, of racism. I don't think it necessarily contributes to it. It is a product that an area, um, once it's invested in, the community that was there before is moved out. And that is that is the problem. They are priced out. And, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't really afford Brixton on, on, on my salary. It's, it's, it's horrendous what you'd pay for a one bedroom flat there now and that's actually quite quite scary so so what you see and and then this sort of goes back to sort of that long term you know where until you really have a strong black middle class who can actually afford to live in these areas you know and can actually afford to take advantage of you know what those areas have to offer you just see those communities disappear and it's not just um black communities it's communities across the city you know they the same thing happened in tower hamlets with the, the development of canary wharf and so on and so forth you just see these communities completely disappear um so i think it's a product of racism and a product of discrimination because it's also something that i do think affects the, the working class as well in general um okay i'm gonna take i'm gonna let's do i think we should do the questions and i'll, I'll ask some of my final ones at the end mm. if we've got time so um somebody further up if i'm paraphrasing this wrong please let me know um said that the it was deval uh the cabinet is starting to have a few more brown faces um do you think that this is the start or is this simply part of a group kind of do you it is is asian people kind of the stepping stone and i, th I think that's a general question not in cabinet I think I think I think I think having Asian people is important, and it, I don't think um, is it a stepping stone. Probably not, because I don't think this cabinet would ever, you know, they've been called out, and still probably wouldn't have a black person as a, a senior minister in the cabinet. I think it's great that there are, you know, some brown faces, and it's not, you know, just a a, a fully a fully white cabinet in that sense so it is representative of of the uk to a degree i think what 
we need to, to see is actually genuine change and genuine you know new discourse from the government to, to be more representative will that happen in this administration i'm not sure i don't okay. think that is there um but yes i think you know any any sort of diversity is is, is positive okay um a question from kuhn uh, what would you advise lmp in how we market london on how to bring in an authentic London voice on BLM and race with our default relentless <laughs> London is amazing messaging. Have you seen any brands that have done this well? I've seen a lot of brands do it in a very, again, using the term performative way. So it looks good, but behind the scenes, it's not there. I think, you know, what I would recommend is, is you know, marketing London in, in a really positive way is, we, the diversity here is amazing. London has the best diversity I've seen in any city that I've been to in the world. Um, and it's to really capitalise on that. And I think LNP does do a good job to do that, but really taking that further, really sort of, you know, exploring, looking at what that is. It's not just the well-known tourist side of our diversity, sort of like Atlantic Avenue or sort of a uh, brick lane it's actually looking at what the going really deep within those communities and, and seeing what those are and actually not being afraid to show London's diversity I think and uh, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong um, but you know some markets may not necessarily be as receptive to such diversity um, but actually saying London's not afraid to show that that and and this is who we are this is who you know we have people from across the world so yeah I think it's it's easy to be scared when we're in both both organizations are quite um we're apolitical obviously so we're trying to be we're always trying to be careful and trying not to be uncomfortable and trying not to to kind of shake the boat too much just in case and I think that almost doesn't work in our favor sometimes um and a question from Donna Apologies if I miss questions. Um, I'm just scrolling up a little bit. So do post them again at the bottom. Um, what do you think are the differences between public sector experience versus private sector in terms of work? Yeah, I've had both. Private sector, you get away with a lot more. Um, absolutely, including racism. Um, private I think private, the private sector, you know, there is there's very little you can do. Yes, you can go to tribunals and stuff. You can, I think, I would say majority of, probably overt racism is definitely experienced within the private sector and certainly from from my point of view and it's almost unashamedly like presented whereas the private sector the public sector sorry it is hidden it is yeah. people aren't directly racist but the systems that prop up and hold up the the public sector are systems that hold people back and that's through i.e recruitment and the way recruitment is done doesn't always work for it's one size fits all and that doesn't that's not that's impossible there's 60 30 million people of working age in the uk um we can't have one size fits all sort of ways of working and that is sort of you know what props up i would say the the public sector um so it's a lot more behind the scenes it's a lot more in the processes and we all work for public sector we know that the processes that we go through are uh a lot to say the least yeah. um another like rich has a question um three key changes you'd make to the gla to bring about effective change great question oh wow great question yeah definitely um three key changes um some of the changes are happening, but again, I would um, really continue with the, the, the changes in that in our recruitment system. Um, I think it's very geared towards um, specific experiences, particularly like whether it's going to, to uni or whether it's, you know, having um, really specific experience within work workplaces and, and, ways, and writing and bits like that, I think. Our, our recruitment system would be something that I would certainly look at changing. Um, I, I think we need more diversity across our senior leadership teams um, across the across the building, and I think recognition that a lot of the teams, unfortunately, still only have maybe one or two black members of staff in those teams, and creating a system where actually 
those uh, that's actually recognised and there are sort of sponsorship or mentorship opportunities where actually those people aren't felt as aren't as isolated as they could they potentially have been yes. or can be. Um, uh, just a question on the back of that. What do you think has been a good thing that's already happened at the GLA that you're happy with in terms of change? Um, the, 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 I think there's been quite a few. I think what has been has been really good is the recognition of our, our corporate management team and our senior our senior leaders on the work that's happening. So, um, you know, within with our BAME network, so Ruth and Douglas who are here, um, Naomi who's also here, the work that they have been doing has been heavily recognised by corporate management and our senior leadership team and that makes such a huge difference because it's a full-time job and I can't stress how hard it is to run these sessions and to, to build these programmes and to, to, to work, um, you know, to, to, to make sure that actually we are tackling this and we are building that agenda. So like it is, it is a full-time job on your, on your job. There has been recognition, whether it's through our corporate updates, whether it's through our core briefs, and that's, that's important. And that's something I think is it has certainly been done relatively well. Oh, that's great. Um, another question here, is it, is it an uncomfortable conversation to discuss who is black and who is brown and why the distinction should or should not be made? I think it can be sometimes. Um, I think, you know, when we've looked into our diversity pay gap, there is a pay gap between black and Asian uh, yeah. people, communities. So I think there is sometimes an uncomfortable com uh, conversation there and there are differences in experience as well. So um, I think that's a conversation that needs to be certainly had. Is it a conversation to have right now? I don't know, because I think there are bigger issues to tackle. Um, but it's a conversation that both communities need to, to come together at some point and have and actually recognise, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the word BAME. And actually, I agree, BAME in the sense of, you know, I don't I fill out an application form and tick that I'm BAME. It's broken down and it's important that we recognise the differences within ethnic groups. Um, and there are absolute there are massive disparities so um it's a difficult conversation yes because actually both ethnic groups would have suffered from some sort of oppression racism have a shared history through colonialism but there are definite there are significant differences so i think it's important um that those conversations are had in the near future yeah but that's that's something we talked about in terms of it was just an education when we talked about why we came here and the years that we came here and I said I came in the 90s and you you were born here yeah. and it's like well, we still had we just have such different experiences and it's yeah. kind of yeah it's really it's really interesting um I'm very conscious that we're running out of time and this was just so great um one thing I wanted to leave with is uh, Ruth and Douglas at the GLA and everyone else working on the Black History Month agenda it's been incredible so thank you so much for sharing that all with LMP because it's been really great and I will share all their events in the chat that's coming up for the last week of the month which is next week sad um, and also another thing that Wayne told me which really stuck and he hasn't mentioned it today so I'm going to bring it up was um, the reason that and it really stuck and he said something that if everyone thinks like this, it means that we still need to have this conversation. He says, if you walk into a room and it's full of white people, you'll say this is a room. And if you walk into a room and it's full of black people, you say this is a room full of black people. And until that kind of mentality changes, which I don't think, I think I think the same thing. And most people in this chat would think the same thing is something that's, it, it stuck so much when we spoke last time. I'm so disappointed you didn't say it, but it was such like, it resonated loads. So just one last question. What would you like to see for the future or what does what what does the future hold in general? And honestly, I'd like to not be the only black person at the table. And and, you know, I would like to see, you know, just general equality. I would like to walk into a room and not feel like I'm the the only person representing my entire community in that room. Um, and that's that happens far too often in the near future, the very near future. I think that's possible. But I think it, you know, it takes people from, from from all communities to make that happen. So it's important that we continue. It's important that we have these conversations that we can have today. It's important to, that we're able 
you know, to distinguish there are differences, but actually understand that and work together to, to tackle those differences. Um, once we, we get there, we can we'll really start making progress. Thank you so much. Um, somebody just put Wayne for Prime Minister. Thank you for so much for being honest. I know you, you've literally told us everything about your life and it's so great. Thank you. Um, does everyone mind turning off their mic so we can give a round of applause? <laughs> I'll leave the, the chat to stay open so everyone can keep chatting away. But this is a big thank you from all of us from London Partners and thank you to all the GLA staff that joined us today. Bye. Thank you.